millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to the Ghibliotech the podcast that ambles through the archive of films from the world's greatest animation studio, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leader, and I've seen a lot of them. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and I've seen a couple of them. So join us in our quest into the glorious world of Ghibli. So Film 4, the film TV channel here in the UK, are doing a full Studio Ghibli retrospective this summer. And I do all things digital and online for them. And I'm a big Studio Ghibli fan. And I'm a podcaster on the side for Little White Lies Film Magazine. So I thought, what better way to combine all my passions into one and force a fellow podcaster, an esteemed colleague, to watch some of my favourite movies. That's you, Jake. It is, yes. Uh, so I also host a podcast for the uh, Curzon Cinema chain here in the UK and uh, work in commissioning for Channel 4's shorts programme, Randomax. And so I spend a lot of my time working uh, amongst films and either getting involved in making them or watching a lot of them for the show. But I really have never seen many Studio Ghiblis. Mm-hmm. This, this week we're watching Grave of the Fireflies. Yes. And that's... Uh, that's only the third one I've seen. The third one you've seen, and I think the first one not directed by Hayao Miyazaki, who made Spirited Away and Princess Mononoke and My Neighbor Totoro, some of the big hitters of the Ghibli mm. canon. This is Isao Takahata's film. Mm. Uh, he was the other director who co-founded the studio in the mid-80s, has a whole legacy of influence of his own, yeah. unfortunately. And quite sadly, he, he passed away earlier this year, but this is... A, a great opportunity to revisit his masterpiece. Yeah, definitely. And in this series, we'll be looking at a number of different Ghibli films and we'll be looking at their history and release as well as talking through my first reactions mm-hmm. to them as well. So it's a great opportunity to get to grips with Ghibli and with Grave of the Fireflies, if you want to pause right now, uh, go and watch the film. We'll still be here when you come <laughs> back. Uh, but otherwise, we're going to plough through and be warned, there will be spoilers from the very off. So here we go. Grave of the Fireflies. Shortly after the end of the Second World War, a young boy dies of starvation in a train station. In flashback, we are introduced to Sator and his little sister Setsuko, who are left homeless after their house is destroyed in the firebombing raids on Kobe. Their mother is fatally wounded in the attack, and their father is serving in the Imperial Navy, so they must fight for their survival alone. They move in with nasty relatives, they trade family belongings for food, and finally they find a place for themselves in an abandoned bomb shelter. But their youthful spirit can only take them so far, 
as harsh reality inevitably takes its toll. Yeah, this sounds like a really personal film, and uh, I think it's a bit different to Spirited Away, to say the least. It's so a heartbreaker. Really, yeah, I'm really curious to see uh, or to hear from you a bit more about this history. So we mentioned that this is the first non-Miyazaki film that I've seen. This is the first Takahata, and it is those two who kind of head up this studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really know much about him. Sure. So Issa Takahata, as we said, one of the two filmmakers that set up Studio Ghibli in the mid-80s. He's actually a few years older than Hayao Miyazaki, and early on in his career was more of a mentor to Hayao Miyazaki. He has a whole career in his own right, very influential one, directing feature films but also television series there's a certain generation of Japanese animators who talk about Heidi Girl of the Alps and Anne of Green Gables as hugely influential, two series that have never made it to the UK officially so I have no idea if they're any good. <laughs> What's key about Issa Takahata in comparison to Hayao Miyazaki is that he's not an artist or an animator, he's purely a director and a writer. He actually studied French literature at Tokyo University so that, so it's more he's more of a storyteller and that might seem to explain why his films that he made with the studio vary in style. He can be much more free and experimental and it's more defined by the animators and the designers that he works with. He was something of a mythic figure at Studio Ghibli, quite reclusive, worked very slowly. Yes, Uh, because there's a lot more, even though from my my brief reading of the, the filmography... Uh, of Ghibli, see Miyazaki's name appear a lot more often. He only made five films before he passed away uh, for Studio Ghibli, and this was the first one. He got the reputation at Ghibli as being descended from a giant sloth (laughs) because he worked very much at his own pace. And he also had a nickname from Miyazaki, which was Pakusan, which literally means Mr. Munch. (laughs) And (laughs) it comes from the fact that he would always sleep in and rush into work literally with his slice of toast in his mouth as he was walking into the office. So no time to sit down and, and eat. This is off topic, but is Mr. Munch, Pakusan, that's where Pac-Man comes it from. It is indeed, to actually. On smell. Yeah, it's yeah. the same sort of onomatopoeic yeah. uh, noise. But that's a bit on Takahata. Uh, let's take us back to the yeah, middle Yeah, where did this come from? Because this is an adaptation? It's an adaptation of, of a novella that was written 20 years beforehand by Akiyuki Nosaka that's semi-autobiographical about his experiences in these firebombings at the end of the Second World War. And to place this in context with the mid-80s, uh, Studio Ghibli had only just recently been founded. They released Castle in the Sky maybe two years beforehand, and they were still finding their feet, and most importantly, they had to engage with finances for every project. They didn't have the freedom that they would have a decade later to make whatever they wanted, e.g. with Spirited Away onwards. But this project came to them from the publishers of the novella, Shinchosa, who really wanted to get into the film business. So they approached Toshio Suzuki, who's the producer, the third part of that triumvirate of Studio Ghibli founders. And he saw an opportunity here. He's a very shrewd business mind, and this is one of his great plays. Shinchosa wanted to make Grave of the Fireflies, and we're going to put up the budget for that. And he saw an opportunity to use that as leverage with their other finances to get off the ground one of their unbacked projects, in this case, Hayao Miyazaki's My Neighbor Totoro, with the view to thinking that they'll be two short films aimed at children, shortish films, 80-odd minutes, And Grey of the Fireflies, because it's a war movie, there'll be a guaranteed audience of school kids going on school trips. And then at the same time, we'll have Hayao Miyazaki's film, My Neighbor Totoro, playing in a double bill, which is a, an amazing feat of, yeah. of, of, of negotiation there. I mean, it sounds like 
as if over here we had got a double bill of Where the Wind Blows and The Snowman. Exactly. <laughs> so where the wind, well, they're, they're both Raymond Briggs yeah. properties, right? So the, this beautiful Christmas tale mixed with nuclear Holocaust tale. Exactly. So that's what this is. Grave of the Fireflies about fire bombings at the end of Second World War. My David Totoro about young girls going on an adventure with a, a forest spirit. Um, and on release, they were playing in double bills. There's some confusion over which film to play first. Do you want to be happy, then sad, sad, then happy? Um, and it didn't set the box office alight, even though reviews were strong. But over the years, both of these films have become linchpins of yeah, Ghibli's reputation. It's really remarkable that they're coming out at the same time. Mm-hmm. And in my head and with my limited knowledge, both of these are within probably my top five most well-known Ghibli films. So exactly. the fact that this is a double bill that they're both working on, both concurrently, mm-hmm. is incredible. And Grey of the Fireflies, in particular, separate from My Love Totoro, was, an, was eventually released in America in the mid-90s, and that was when people started noticing. And Roger Ebert, the great American critic in particular, watched that film and was a, a huge advocate saying about how it's a film that is more than an animated film. It's not just a cartoon, it's a serious drama. Mm-hmm. So this was a film that really set that tone as Ghibli making more than just animated fantasy fare. Yeah, this is not just a cartoon. It's not. It's so much more, Jake. I'd love to know what you think about this. So I think let's just get cracking and move on to your review. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. So the last Studio Ghibli film I'd seen before Grave of the Fireflies was Spirited Away, uh, mm-hmm. one of only two I'd seen at the time. The other being 
My Neighbor Totoro.、Oh. Uh, so you can imagine how in my head、uh, Studio Ghibli was perhaps room for lighter fare. That it was quite full of awe and wonder,、yes. and lovely characters getting along, having、yes. adventures. Yes, and、uh, then I hear this film about some fireflies that might die,、um, <laughs> and. I wasn't even prepared for that, let alone、uh, this sob story of、uh, two、Harrowing、children. Film, yeah,、yes. trying to make it through the war in Japan, even from its opening line. After I've I've watched these two wonderful children's films,、mm-hmm. and then I switch this one on, and I've got a poor kid dying of malnutrition in a train station, and the subtitle comes up saying that was the night I died. And you made me watch、right? this. <laughs> this is the thing with this movie. It's it's certainly one of the greatest that Ghibli ever made, and Takahata in particular ever made. But it's、uh, one of the most depressing films.、Mm. It it really is a an endurance test. You have to really preface this with, by the way, this is a serious, upsetting film. Yeah, I can't imagine the dilemma in that when they were doing that double bill with Totoro.、Mm-hmm. Um, there is there's no easy place to put this film. Even today, even、yeah. showing it today, because there is still the expectation that an animated film about two kids in war, we have completely different expectations、mm. of what that sort of movie is, right? We have,、um, you know, a long tradition of Western films that have kids in war situations, but we wouldn't necessarily expect them to go through the ringer like the, yes. The、um, so in in the earlier moments of this film, I was thinking of Steven Spielberg's work with with that innocence amongst war, maybe、mm. less so. Uh, his work on Saving Private Ryan. I'm thinking more of Empire of the Sun and War Horse as、mm-hmm. well, in which you would feel comfortable showing children it because the the true horrors are perhaps never really explicitly seen.、Mm-hmm. Um, and in the first 15 minutes of this one, where there's the fire bombings and you see trying to pack things up and get out of the city and save your sister, and it's all quite admirable、mm-hmm. and heroic, in which Sato is trying to. Save his sister and、mm-hmm. their possessions, and then there is a moment about I think it's about fifteen minutes into the film in which we see the bandaged、mm. corpse of their mother and blood dripping through the bandages and dead eyes and mouth, and then eventually maggots crawling from the body. And for me, that was what made it flip to a. I'm realizing I'm in a different film here. Well, that's what's incredible about this film, in comparison to maybe Ghibli's other works, where characters are outsized, they're exaggerated, they're grotesque, but always delightful.、Mm. And this this film plays with realistic depictions of, of of human characters in ways that that other films don't. And when you reach that moment where you can see maggots and flies on corpses, you actually see charred corpses being thrown into graves. It's it's stark、mm. and surprising and and moving, and you know immediately what. What the stakes are? Yeah,、here. I think I think stark is a really interesting word to use for this film, and I really wanted to talk about the art style. Although it may be recognisably coming from the same place as something like Spirited Away, I felt like there was some really bold decisions being made with how to represent the trauma of、mm. this event and the destruction of it. I'm coming from Spirited Away. And I'm th- seeing、uh, quite busy screens, just、mm-hmm. filled with colour and life and imagination and exuberance,、uh, and that's what is I, I find brilliant about that film. And this is almost the complete removal of that.、Mm-hmm. There are some really stunning moments in which Saito and Setsuko 
are almost the only two moving things in the frame. Yeah. Uh, the the backgrounds, the horizons, whatever they're standing on is almost washed out and disappearing. Mm. It's this complete focus on what is essential for telling the story. Yeah. Um, and to me, there was this reading of the film focusing on war-torn places as becoming stuck in time because right. I was looking at the landscapes and seeing where there's, there's a bombed-out city or a house that's on fire and the smoke isn't moving. Mm. It's just resting on the horizon. This tied into how the sound was designed for the film as well. And right. it's really focused in. It's localized. So we're just looking at or hearing the sound of feet trudging along through a muddy path. Or the sound of feet as they try and escape, trying mm -hmm. to steal something. Or the effort that might go into eating something when you're suffering from malnutrition. Well, th yeah, the sound effects are something that stick with me for this film, amongst many other things. There's a, there's a part later in the film when they are at their lowest ebb, where they don't have food, where Setsuko is, is slowly dying from malnutrition. And uh, Seta comes home, or to the, to the shelter they're calling home, and sees her passed out on the floor with her tin, her trusty tin of fruit drops. And we know in the narrative that those fruit drops are long gone, but she's got them and she's got something in her mouth. And you hear this incredible, like rattling noise of something passing between her teeth and it's a marble that she's mm. been sucking on and in her what a fever she thinks it's a, a fruit drop and it's so moving mm. and sad and just thinking about it is you know goose goose pimple inducing really yeah. isn't it um but whilst we're dwelling on the starkness of the film there's a lot of poetry and magic yeah there really well. is um that was something that I really loved about it actually is that it descends into these magical moments mm -hmm. uh, that make it recognizably the, the studio that with my brief knowledge I can recognize and mm. uh, where something might just descend into metaphorical or symbolic realm for a moment where we're just focusing on the lights of fireflies and mm -hmm. their movements yeah. and that's it there is a link to these two characters being these two fireflies but it's not a essential for the narrative not really but it's such a beautiful image and a beautiful symbol the fact that they burn so brightly and then die the next day or they're suffocated by the the moth netting that they're mm. under and used in the poster in fact the, the, the original poster is you know Satan and Setsuko with the fireflies and the fireflies go all the way up this one sheet poster and turn into the firebombs that's being rained down above them mm. so this idea that this this use of fire as something wonderful and magical but also dangerous and life-changing uh, but also the frame device where you're guided through this story by the ghosts of these children yes. in this red post afterlife world where they're mm. on, a, on a train and then keep popping up and then you have flashbacks to their life before the war with their family yeah, and then you see things before, after and during. Yeah, we're, we're kind of, we are bouncing around on the way events unfold but mm. I think the film really plays fast and loose with that. It, it's not yeah. essential to really know mm. when any of this is happening. No. Well, we said there's spoilers ahead. Well, there's spoilers in the first line of the film. Yeah. You, you know going in what you're going to get at the end of it and so it doesn't really matter where things happen or you, you just know you're in for a bad time but what makes it really special is the moments of joy along the way yeah i've already mentioned raymond briggs and uh, i was thinking of another film adapted from his work and uh, this was ethel and ernest yes which came out a couple of years ago and that's the story of a married couple in london from the early 20th century to their death in the late 20th century mm -hmm. And it goes through their romance and 
getting them together at the start all the way through war to dementia and death and it's punctuated with these absolute moments of humanity and wonder Mm. and that's what makes this so harder to watch is that when they do just have a really wonderful time there's almost a swiss family robinson feel yeah when they uh leave the town uh they get rid of the shackles of kind of family oh the the busybody aunt who is uh always on their back about even even wanting to eat yeah and they go and set up their own life this brother and sister and it's it's wonderful to watch. There's something very exciting about that, isn't yeah. there? You eventually see this, their cave that they've kind mm. of turned into a home. You have the inevitable feeling that this is not going to work out. Exactly. And you have, and it, that eventually kind of leads us into this final 30 minutes. And from there on out, those moments of joy mm. stop appearing as regularly. Well, yes, it's also there's this tension throughout about them wanting to just live their lives as children, this innocent, pure existence. But the world in its many forms, be that the the world war or be that the people, be that society, just stop them from doing it. There's a beautiful moment where I think they're playing piano, aren't they, and singing. And then the, the aunt goes by saying, don't you know there's a war going on? Mm. And it's just the way that this context is trampling down childhood innocence. And then the final 30 minutes is just this inevitable slide where they have money in the bank, but it's a time of rationing, so they can't buy food. They're trying to barter and trade. Um, Sater is pushed to lower, lower depths of, in the end, he's ransacking houses that are abandoned during firebombing raids, mm. putting himself in danger, leaving his sister back at the bomb shelter to try and steal, to then trade, to get whatever soybean paste or something to, to eat. And there's a turn there. There's something that reminds me almost of, not necessarily as um, as grotesque as William, you know, William Golding, Golding's uh, Lord of the Flies, but it's something about, you see this photograph of the family that keeps coming back up, where they're all buttoned up, standing up straight, you know, uh, straight backed. The father is the, the Navy captain and the Imperial Navy. And in the end, what is the boy pushed to by circumstance? Stealing, lying, breaking tomatoes off branches in fields from farmers, running away from farmers. And that's what they're brought to. And then finally, death comes. Mm. It's one of the most upsetting and harrowing final acts in all the cinema, really. And it puts the film very much on a level playing field with these mid-80s feel-bad war movies. You mentioned Raymond Briggs earlier, When the Wind Blows, his film about this old couple in the UK when there's a, a, a nuclear attack and they're just slowly dying from radiation poisoning in their living room. Also, Threads, which is a similar situation, a nu- nuclear uh, panic film about a bomb being dropped on Sheffield. And then the slow death and degradation of society yeah. there. And then this. And it's just, I think I mentioned before, this was referred to in a review as a three-hanky film. And yeah. I don't think there are enough handkerchiefs in the world for the tears that this film provokes in people. Yeah, and there's a really wonderful moment where uh, we figure out that the uh, abandoned uh, bomb shelter that they've been staying in is actually in the grounds of this, this mansion. Mm. And the residents of the mansion after the after the war is yeah after japan have surrendered yeah return to the mansion and put on a record called home sweet home mm-hmm. and the camera or camera whatever you want to, the frame moves from the mansion 
kind of over the valley down to the bomb shelter and you have this ghost of the little girl yeah. just moving amongst the cave and playing with the water and playing with dragonflies and this is just heartbreaking yeah. and that I, that's uh, when it got to me and uh, when someone tells you that a film is going to make you cry that's a kind of warning to me that it's probably not going to the thing that makes me cry is when I'm not expecting to mm-hmm. and that's what will set me off whereas if I'm prepared for it it's not going to happen uh, and this one I was prepared for it and it still made it happen yeah. so uh, I think it just goes to show how powerful that was it's powerful but also it's worth mentioning that there are so many subtle complexities to the storytelling here you mention that the, this family that come back and put on the record there's such an irony there they're living in this western style mansion outside of Kobe their life has not been touched by these fire bombings they've been um, evacuated anyway and there's these young girls wearing western style flowing dresses coming in it's like oh like you know we're back home like they've been on holiday when there are these there's this real toil that's been mm. um that will th- this this innocence that they'll never get back yeah. and the final shot of the film which some people i, I guess is easy to remember because by that point your eyes are probably missed over completely yeah. but the final shot is the two ghosts of the kids uh, on the sort of hill by the train station and the fireflies coming up next to them the camera pans up and it shows modern day japan mm. set showing saying this is what you have to reckon with this is the innocence we lost at this point four decades before we need to remember this we can't forget and i think this is undoubtedly one of ghibli's masterpieces not one i re- revisit very often would you revisit this jake I actually want to revisit it quite soon, which is weird. But it was just to kind of reconcile with an issue that I had with the film and that I found mm. it actually quite hard to follow. Mm. Um, just the state of who is related to who at what time right. and the money situation. It doesn't establish the relationships between people beyond the brother and sister. Yeah. Beyond that, I found it quite hard. Uh, I didn't actually fully get that the person in the first scene was Saita. Okay. Uh, and so I would like to just go back to it just to clear everything up for me. Yeah. Arguably, that is an issue with the film that perhaps an audience should be able to understand it. But I think it's also part of Ghibli's storytelling is that it's not completely locked into a narrative structure like that. And I'm not going to go out and say that like this is a bad thing with the film. I'm sure second time round, I'll know what's going on. And I, I would be happy to say this is a masterpiece already. Yeah, but, uh, but it, it had an impact. It so affecting, yeah. Yeah. So we've just confirmed that we both think this is a masterpiece. Yes. And uh, now it's time to put it on our ranking system, the leaderboard. Okay, so so far on the leaderboard, we only have one film, which is Spirited Away. It's been in one. first place for a while. It's been in first place. <laughs> this is a hard one. So I think that Spirited Away is a, a slightly flawed masterpiece, but maybe not the masterpiece. Mm. And I think Grey of the Fireflies is an absolute masterwork, but not one I want to watch every day of the week. So this is one of those cases where you say, do you want to, do you love a film because you can rewatch it any day, any day of the week? Or do you love a film because it is a great piece of cinema. Mm. And I think on this one, I'm going to place Grey the Fireflies ahead of Spirited Away. Okay. So let's put that in first place. Right, wow. That's now the gold standard, the one to beat. Okay, and uh, so that means next time we're going to have to see where My Neighbor Totoro fares. Yes, so next episode we're going to finish that fabled double bill. <laughs> We've watched the sad one, <laughs> and now we can watch the joyous one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it'll be the third one that I've seen. 
as oh, well. Perfect. And then we're then we're at all of them, <laughs> all, all of the ones Uncharted that I've actually territory seen. after that. Yeah, who knows what to expect beyond that one? <laughs> right. We hope you've enjoyed your time in the Ghibliotech. As we said, next time it's my neighbour Totoro. Until then, you can follow Michael on Twitter at Michael J Leader, and you can follow Jake on Twitter at Jake H Cunningham. And if you're enjoying the show, we'd really appreciate it if you subscribed on iTunes and Acast. You can review us on there as well, give us a star rating and a comment as well. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Ghibliotech is a Little Dot Studios production. We record at Soho Radio. Our music is made by Anthony Ng. Our artwork is by Sophie Moe. And Steph Watts helps us out with all, all of our GIFs, images, and anything else we post online. The show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, and Harold Scheel. That's me. I do the voiceover for the credits as well. Hi, everyone. Thanks again for sticking around after the credits. We like to reward our listeners with a little bit of trivia. For Grave of the Fireflies, we did mention the fruit drops that pop up throughout the film. They're actually a brand in Japan called Sakuma Fruit Drops. And the company decided, after the success of the film, to reissue these fruit drops with packaging, a special tin packaging that reflects the design in the film. And they're actually still available from your various online retailers of choice. So if you want to get something sweet out of this very sour experience of watching Go the Fireflies, you can go and pick them up. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.